You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Morning, everyone. Um, if you have a Bible, please open up to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. I, I want to uh, talk about today uh, almost like a part two to our teaching last week um, on God's will. So um, we, we talked about last week finding God's, finding God's guidance or getting God's guidance. And today I want to talk about uh, God's will. I think that it's a very important topic as we're in Proverbs to talk about this. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, we have a lot to cover today, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Proverbs 3, and then also turn to Matthew 6. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Did people read out loud with me? Huh, wow. Good job, everyone. I can go home now. I feel like an accomplished pastor right now. Uh, this might be long, so you might not want to read along. But you can if you want to. I'm not going to wait up for you. I'll put it that way. Verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Oh, see? I told you. Let me just read it to you. This is during the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Very important teaching, uh, probably the most important section uh, of Scripture on Jesus kind of reframing what it means to live life in the kingdom of God. And at, towards the end, he says this. Therefore, because of all these things I've told you, and you can read those at home this week because you have a new Bible now. Um, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Gosh, this is such, I think if there was a, uh, a San Francisco verse, this would be it, okay? Um, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is, is not life more than food. Is not life more than. I think you should underline that. Is not life more than. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, the pigeons. They do not sow. We have a lot of them here. <laughs> they do not sow or wheat, reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I mean, how, how vivid. If you were to just look at pigeons in San Francisco. I mean, they don't have like a pigeon store or something. Like, like this is where the pigeon store. Look, God, like what Jesus is saying is like God feeds them. Like, of course, they pick up scraps. They eat stuff that no one should ever eat. No animal should ever eat. But God feeds them still. And if you look at pigeons, and I don't really like pigeons um, at all. But God's like, you're much more valuable than that. God cares for those pigeons. How much more valuable are you? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin yet. I tell you, not even Solomon, who was the wisest person who ever lived, who wrote most of the book of Proverbs that we're in, even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed, uh, was, uh, let me read that again. Yeah, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown out into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, each day has enough trouble of its own. That's God's word. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and its relevance and potency into our lives. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us today. Um, I know this topic last week, God, and this week has been a bit, for some of us, a bit of a paradigm shift. I pray if we feel shaky even in our faith and like the ground underneath us has moved, I pray that we would stand on the solid ground of Christ and our hope in you, God, and know that you are worthy to be trusted and, and God, we can place our faith in you. I ask God that you would uh, teach us today and that you would use uh, my feeble attempt to teach this subject um, for your glory and you would anoint me. In Christ's name, amen. 
Amen. So we're in this series on wisdom. And two weeks ago, we turned a corner. Uh, actually, uh, about two, three weeks ago, we turned a corner and we started getting into Proverbs proper. Um, that is those potent little proverbial sentences that start in chapter 10 of Proverbs. And one of the subjects that comes up a lot in Proverbs, so we've just been taking Proverbs topically after chapter 10, and one of the subjects that comes up a lot in Proverbs is getting God's guidance, getting God's counsel, getting God's way. And last week we said a quite, quite a, a, a lot about getting God's guidance and how important getting God's guidance is and how we begin to get God's guidance But I fear that it might have been a bit of a paradigm bomb that exploded in our church. And so as I shared what I shared last week, especially in our church, I feel it might have been more of a paradigm bomb or a paradigm shift that that went back, that went on last week. Because we deeply value, we have since the very beginning of our church, we deeply value that God speaks to us about all our decisions. And we've said that publicly from Uh, The stage, we've said that in prayer meetings all the time. We are a church that when we don't really have a clear way forward, we will call a prayer meeting. We've done this several times. Um, Before we go into Easter Sunday, before we go into Serve the City, before we go into big events of the church and things that we're doing, we call prayer meetings like every night leading up to the event. Um, you, you are a part, many of you are part of community groups where when you don't know what to do and you need God's guidance, the community group will pray for you. We pray, and rightly so as a church, and by praying we hope, and at many times we expect God will guide us. Well, last week we said that we can't just wait for a sign from God. God actually wants to build in character. So how do we reconcile these two things? How do we reconcile, I want God to lead us, and sometimes God leads us supernaturally. Sometimes God leads us through prayer meetings and words of faith and words of prophecy. But how do we balance that with what we talked about last week? Because last week, as we looked at Proverbs, we said there actually might be more to decision-making than that. There might be more to it than that. We are to pray, we are to seek God and ask God, but this is what we said last week. We said last week, we can, by asking God for a sign, an open door, the holy flip, we said, you know, like when you just kind of do the holy flip and open your Bible and go, bam, right there, God, first Samuel, like that sort of thing. We can, by asking God for a sign, God, give me a sign, what color shirt is she going to be wearing today that you want me to like ask out on a date, just lead me today, you know. Um, or I need an open door, God. Give me an open door. If you open a door, I'll go through it. Or uh, the holy flip, like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm going to flip open my Bible, and you're going to speak to me. What if, by asking God for a sign or open door or a holy flip, we can be circumventing something very valuable in our life with God, character development? What if we just, we, we start to short circuit, we, and we, we said that we could become so dependent on God's, quote, speaking to us, that we can avoid God developing character in us. That we can become very immature. It would be so much easier if God spoke supernaturally and told us every little decision to make every day. That would be so easy. If he told us what to buy and what not to buy every day, like somehow God wired our debit card to shock us every time we bought something we shouldn't buy. Like as soon as we like, I want to buy that, and we pull out our card, it would just like buzz, like shock, like, oh, God, I got it. Okay, I'll put it about <laughs> My wife would love that for me um, in our, like, like if, if we're trained that way, or if God told us the day we were going to meet the person we were going to marry. Like, God woke us up, and like, today, and I, I know that some people have felt this. Um, like, today's the day. Like, I just feel God, <laughs> like, today, I'm going to meet, I'm going to meet her, or I'm going to meet him. And God, what, what, what color shirt? What, oh, stripes? Okay, I, stripes, God. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I know. And we laugh because it sounds silly, but there have been people that have been so, and there's stories that confuse the heck out of most. Like you hear, Mary, how'd you meet? I woke up one day and I felt like God said red shirt. And I saw her. She had a red shirt and we're like, oh, that's so good. Romantic, (laughs) holy. And then we go, God, what's up? Like, why don't you do that with me? Like, why? And and so that would be so easy if God did that. And there are stories like this. And I know people in this church pray for stuff like this. And it sounds so holy. But what we tried to expose last week was the dark underbelly to such logic. There is, for sure, a dark underbelly to this way of thinking. You actually can become a person 
who has not developed godly character, godly wisdom, or even a sanctified imagination. And I've seen this happen so often. Now let me just get real kind of graphic. Uh, Maybe not graphic, that's the wrong word. I don't know. Let me just get, let me just be real talk. How about that, okay? Um, I I just, you, you would think that people who pray like this are very dependent on God, right? God, just lead me today. Who am I supposed to have lunch with? And it sounds, gosh, it does sound very, very, very godly. But in reality, what these people can become, and oftentimes I've seen them become, is entitled. They can't handle suffering. They have no capacity for suffering. Because if God leads them and they suffer, they go, well, that's not the way God wanted then. God doesn't want me to suffer. God doesn't want me to go through pain. And I go this way, and I'm, start, I'm starting to go. I, I'm starting to date this person I feel like God wants me to date, but it's getting too hard, and I'm going to bail now. God, and then what they do is like, God, speak to me. What am I supposed to do now? Okay, I'm supposed to leave. Okay, I'm supposed to go over here now. I'm supposed to go over there now. And they become this anxious, entitled, like, I deserve God to give me everything I want all the time. And you become almost like a spoiled kid, like a, a kid that never matures, a kid that goes, Mommy, Dad, I want this all the time, and I want you to do everything. I want you to make every decision for me and open up my juice box. I don't know how. Like, you're 12. <laughs> well, I don't know how. It's so hard. Like, how do you puncture? I don't know how to do it. Open my juice box for me. Like, a parent would go, you should learn how to open your own juice box. And we think it's so holy to go, oh, to be so dependent on God. I go, God, open my juice box for me. God's like, okay, I've given you a mind. I've given you a brain. I've given you a conscience. I've given you all these capacities, and I want you to grow in them. See, yes, God does lead us. Yes, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Yes, all these things are true. But what is equally true is that God wants us to grow in character. God wants us to grow in Christ-likeness. God wants us to grow this way. Now, there's when we do ask God to just lead us all the time for every little decision, there can be a way that we short-circuit character and maturity. In the New Testament, and this is what we said last week, in the New Testament, we're never actually told to seek God's will. We are rather told to seek God's kingdom and to do God's will. Now, I want to add something else, another layer to this. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to think that God doesn't have a will. God has a will. God has a will. God has a plan, and for sure he does. And sometimes, I would say most times, we don't know what that will is. So God has a will, and we don't oftentimes know what that will is. James says something like this in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or to that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. James says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Isn't that encouraging? Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This idea is actually taken from Proverbs. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what, that, what a day may bring. So what James is saying is that God does have a will. And because we don't know what that will might even be, we are not to be presumptuous about tomorrow, but actually say and confess in our hearts when we do make plans, if the Lord wills. Some scholars call this the hidden will of God. So God has a will, and sometimes, often, it's hidden from us, and we don't know it. And we are just to throw our hands up and say, or actually, not throw our hands up, but open our hands up and say, God, if you will. If you want this to happen, I want to do it. Um, Paul has this idea, he expresses this idea of, of the mysterious will of God in Acts when he's meeting with the Ephesian church and he loves this church, he helped plant this church and as he's encouraging this church and he's leaving, he says this to the church. He says, it says in Acts 18, but as Paul left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. He's like, guys, I had such a great time with you. This was so fun. Guys, I'm going to be back. I'm going to come back uh, hopefully this time next year. But who knows, though, right? If God wills it. Maybe. If God wills that I'd come back, I will come back. If he doesn't will, I, don't, I won't. And I, we don't really know God's will as it pertains to next year. We don't even know if we'll be here next year. If God wills it, but I'll make you this promise, I will be back if the Lord wills it. I want to come back. It's my desire to come back. What he's saying is that God has a plan 
and a will, and it concerns our future, but we do not know it. God has a plan, and God has a will for our future, for the future, but we do not know it. Paul writes something to this effect back to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, he says, In him we were also chosen. In Christ we were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What is this saying? It is saying that God has a will and what he's doing, that God has a will and he's working history somehow in some mysterious way that I do not understand, that no one understands. He's working out his plan uh, his work in our history towards some mysterious way that we don't know. And we are not to be presumptuous about the future. We don't know it. We, go, we have to say, if God wills. So here's the conclusion. God has a will. God does have a will. So God has a will for us. Or better said, God has a will for the future. Maybe that's a better way to say it. God has a will for the future. God has a plan for the future, for the future, the way this whole thing works out But here's the question. I think this is the question that we wrestle with the most. The question is, how do we find God's will? Or, said differently, can we know God's will? If God, we can't can't just, from last week's sermon into this week's sermon, we can't just all of a sudden break from the fact that God has a plan and a will. God does. God has a plan. God has a will. God has a will for the future. God has a way that this whole thing wraps up. God has a way for, for all the things in our life to work out. God has this plan, this will, but we don't know it. We have no idea, but the question is, can we? Because we want to know it. We want to know, I want to make the right decision. I want to choose the right way. I, wanna, I want to be blessed. I, I want to have a life that's flourishing. I want all that God has for me. But how do I make that right decision? So we typically think about God's will like this. Here's a little graph that I got from a friend of mine. Um, here, here's how we typically think of God's will, okay? We're like, all these different options, right? There's just such a plethora of options. And then there's this one tiny, small dot in the middle, and that's the blessing of God. The love and the blessing, the flourishing, the peace, the shalom. The, the, all the goodness of God is right there, right in the middle. And God has this center dot of blessing. And guess what our goal is? To hit it. We wake up in the morning and are like, oh my gosh, look at this big old day. I got one dot, like I got to get there. (laughs) And if I don't get there, if I barely miss it, God's disappointed with me. God's like, plan B, man. (laughs) You almost got it. You were close, but you didn't hit my will today. I'm disappointed with you, and we're on a plan B with you. Or, or you are really outside of God's plan, and God's now mad at you. God's like, oh, you really missed it today. Mad, plan F for you. (laughs) Like we're going way off course here. And what this does is this breeds doubt in us. We think about, did we hit the bullseye? Did we get God's blessing today? Did I make the wrong decision? Did I miss God's best for me? Some of us might even think this. No, I don't even say might. I know that some of us think like this. Did I make a decision like eight years ago where I missed the person God wanted me to marry? Like I met them my senior year of of college Right when I was about to graduate and I was like, was this God's will? It was not God's will. And I said, it wasn't, I didn't think it was God's will. Then did I miss it? And now am I like living, I can't, I wanted to do my shadow, but it didn't work. Sorry. Um, I didn't, I can't jump really high, you can tell. Like, anyway, so did I miss it? Wish I had a pointer. Did I, was I outside? Can I get close? Anyway. um, Did I miss, and, and if I did miss it, if I missed this, if I missed God's blessing, am I on plan B now? If was plan A, blessing, was to marry that person I met my senior year in college, I missed it, now I'm on plan B, and plan B for my life is to be lonely and miserable. I know some of you have thought this before. Did I make the right career decision? Was I supposed to be this or that? And if I was supposed to be that, did I miss it? Because I'm not really happy where I'm at. And is God disappointed with me? Is God mad? And so every decision, every decision we make, we treat like this. Next slide. Oh, sorry. Yeah, here we go. Um, okay, so this is the way that we think decisions, right? So here's today right here, and we have like maybe three decisions to make. 
And we're like, okay, those decisions are those three paths, but then those paths turn on to those three paths, and those three paths, and then there's these, all these options. This is just one decision. If I make this one decision, where will it lead me? And we're, pla- we're plagued with every decision we make sets us on a path which leads to another decision and then to another. And the goal of life, our responsibility, we think, is to discover the exact pathway of God's will. We, we are left to discover God's blessing. And if we make the right choice, we will receive favor and honor and fulfill our divine destiny and succeed in this life. And once a decision is made, we believe that there is only one way forward, one way to God's destiny. And we believe that God knows this right way since he has, a, he has willed for us. He wills things for us. And God has to tell us this will. We have to discover what this will is. So our decisions become crippling. If we choose right, we will experience God's blessing and achieve God's success and achieve happiness in our life. So we make a decision and all of a sudden we are here, let's say. So we make a decision, we're like, boom, we're here. We're like, okay, I made one. And then way down the road, now I'm here. And so we're like, okay, great. But then we get this thought, well, did I choose wrongly? Did I lose my way? Did I miss? What if one of the decisions I made was wrong? And then we think, I should have been here. We're like, dang it, I was so close. <laughs> like, I was so close to, like, I, I got all the way there, and then I, like, went this way, and no, God's like, oh, over there, man. I'm like, wow, I was just so close to, for God's, like, excellent best for my life. And this is how we think. We think of God's will in this terms, and this is so wrong. This is the wrong picture. <laughs> wrong, okay? This is the wrong way to look at God's will. And the reason why it's the wrong way to think of God's will, you can take that off now. The reason why we could think of this as the wrong way is because we are actually focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on the wrong thing. A man named uh, Jerry Sitzer, if I'm saying his last name right, wrote a wonderful book that I read this last week. I've been reading a lot of books on the will of God. This is probably the best one that I've read um, on God's will. And he tells in this a personal story of him trying to decide a profession. And as he was, uh, uh, I, I forget, I think he was, he might have been finishing, going into grad school or finishing up grad school. He was like, should I go into medicine or should I go into the ministry? And he was wrestling through these questions, and he didn't know which one. And whatever path he chose would actually dictate a lot of his life, would like shape his life for, for the rest of his life. This was a huge crossroads decision. And he wanted God's will for his life. Was it ministry or a career in medicine? Both would be helping people. Both would be partnering with God in the renewal of everything. It's a big decision. One that will decide the rest of his life. And the whole process of making this decision made him rethink the idea of finding God's will for our life. And he writes this in his book. He writes this. This is so good. We think long and hard when we choose a college, a job, a career, or a spouse. This makes good sense considering how consequential these choices are. But we give little thought to how much TV we watch or how often we talk on the phone. This is written a long time ago. No one talks on the phone or maybe social media. TV we watch, how, how often we're on social media, or how seldom we praise our children. Yet these little choices we make every day often have a, uh, a cumulative effect far exceeding the significance of the big choices we occasionally have to make. That is so good. But this next sentence where he drops the mic, I think. He says, we do not need to fret when we have to make big decisions about the future. Worrying about the terrifying possibility that we might miss God's will for our lives, we simply need to do what we already know in the present. We need to do the will of God as it's been revealed to us. God has been clear where clarity is most needed. The choices we make every day, to love a spouse after an argument, to treat an unkind co-worker with respect, to serve food at a soup kitchen, determine whether or not we are doing the will of God. If we have a problem, it is not with lack of knowledge. Rather, it is our unwillingness to respond to the knowledge that we have. Okay, so this is what he's saying. He's saying that often many of us don't know the future. Which way should I go? Who should I be with? What should I be doing with my life? Should this career path? Should that career path? What should I be? What, what apartment do I move in? What neighborhood? We, make, we, we, we just ask God, God, lead me, lead me, lead me. And all these decisions and what we tend to do is we focus on the unknown. We focus on what we do not know. 
We focus on, will that be the best decision for my life? I don't know. Instead of focusing on what we do know. This was taught to me pretty um, vividly uh, when I was actually praying and discerning uh, whether to move to San Francisco. And um, we were praying about where to start a church, a church community, this church. And it was between a couple different cities that we felt really called to. This was the, one of the, probably the, the most discernible one. And I remember there was a season of my life, maybe three months of my life, where the decision on where we would move to plant a church consumed me. Maybe you know what this feels like. This big decision. And every single time I prayed, I would pray about this decision. Every single time I talked about, I read the Bible, I saw it through the lens of where am I supposed to go. I was looking for hidden words and hidden meanings in the Bible. I would read anywhere and go, uh, does that spell San Francisco? I think that verse might spell <laughs> San Francisco. And I would, I would look for... I would look, I would see a commercial and it would be the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm like, a sign? Okay, that's one. Um, Everything I saw, I was so consumed with where am I supposed to go? And then one night I was uh, was at a a ministry conference and one of my good friends was, was preaching and he was teaching about how God leads us in times of obscurity. And when God leads us in times of obscurity where we don't know where we're supposed to go, it's to teach us reliance on God and intimacy with God. And I'm not joking, I, God spoke. And it's very rare in my life that God would like almost audibly speak to me. It's happened maybe only a few times. And, and what he spoke to me was, you're so focused on the future that you're missing the present. You don't know. You might die tomorrow, Dave. You might die. You don't know that. You don't even know if you'll ever make it. to. Say, but you do know right now. And right now I want you to draw close to me. And I felt so um, convicted is a, a, a Christian word that I felt so uh, convicted and convinced of my own folly, of my own stupidity, of my own lack of wisdom, that I was focused so much on the future that I was forgetting the present where God was speaking to me right then and there, that I can actually know God at that very moment. And for me, it doesn't happen like this for everyone, but for me, as soon as it was like this, this dam that was blocking up, really hearing where God, what God wanted to speak to me, as soon as that was broken, I felt this total peace that I can go to San Francisco and God would be with me. That I get to go to San Francisco. That if, if I came here and I failed, God would be with me. If I came here and this whole thing, if I came here and I died, God would be with me. Like no matter what happened, God was with me. When we focus so much on the future, we forget what we know. We forget, and scholars call it, the revealed will of God. We focus so much on the hidden will of God, the future will of God. What does God have for me in the future? That we forget to live in the present. That we forget to live on what we know. We ha- God has a will for us right now. Right now, God has a will for us. I want you to think about it like this. What if, what if the reason the Bible is so silent about God's will for tomorrow and so clear on God's will for today is because the way we do God's will today has a way of shaping our tomorrow? What if we, what if God's like, the reason why I'm so fuzzy about the future and so clear about the present because the present, my present will for you right now, what's, what you know actually has a way of shaping you for your future, but you're so focused on your future that you're forgetting the now and you're, you're short-circuiting the process. I have a process for you. I do want to get you to San Francisco, but unless you learn what I want you to learn now, you'll never be the kind of person that will be faithful to me in San Francisco. I want you to take this job here, but you don't know that yet because you're so focused on that. I want, I want you to learn character here so that you can actually become the kind of person that once you're in that job, you'll be the kind of person that can handle that sort of job, that can handle the pressure and know me in the midst of it. Why are you so focused on the future that you forget what I'm doing right now? You forget that God, I'm building godly character in you right now, that your small decisions on how you love your neighbor and how you love me and how you spend time with me and how you forgive other people, all that has a way of shaping your future. We're so focused on the future that we forget the present now. Now, see, the reason the, the, the previous graphic was wrong about all those different ways is because the Bible has very little, little to say about God's will as a future pathway. God's, the Bible has very little to say about you and your little plotted will. The New Testament doesn't give any formula for divining God's future will for your life. Nor does it teach us how to figure out the future. It doesn't at all. So if someone comes up to you and says, I know when the Lord's coming back and I know this and I know that and I have it all mapped out, I know exactly what's going to happen. You say, I'd like you to add comma if the Lord wills. 
Because so many people have done that and been wrong, really wrong. And Jesus even said, not that many, no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows. Like, the future's fuzzy when it comes to that. And the reason why it's fuzzy there is because God wants us to be here. What the scriptures do instead when it teaches about the future, and when you study the Bible, and you're like, I want to learn about the future, especially the New Testament. I want to learn about the future. How do I know about the future? This is what the Bible says about the future. Do not worry. Do not be presumptuous. And do not be anxious. Let me tell you your future. I don't know. But don't worry about it. And don't be presumptuous about it. And don't be anxious about it. Then it teaches us what we are to do today. And that's the scripture that we read today. Matthew 6, says, Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious. Then it says this, but here's what you are to do. So we always think about what we're not to do. Like, okay, I'm not supposed to be worried. Okay, I'm not going to worry. But then God gives us actually something to do. We always miss that part. Here's what you're supposed to do. But seek first his kingdom now. Seek first his righteousness today. And all these things, your future, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its, no, of its own. And so here is God's will for you. You ready? Here's God's will. I know it. You can write it down. It's in the bank. It's, 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 it's true. Seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness, not your future. Seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness and not your future. Meaning, don't live your life so far ahead that you miss what's going on right here. God's will is that you would, seek your, that you would not seek your future, but you would be present. That you'd be saturated with God's kingdom. That you would be saturated with his kingdom coming in San Francisco. That you'd be saturated with his kingdom coming in your career. That you'd be saturated with Christ's kingdom coming in your heart. And his righteousness being worked out in you. This is God's will. Now, I know. I know this isn't sexy. It would be really cool to stand up here and go, guys, I have a formula for you to find God's will for your life. Like the decision you're, you're to make, and this is what it is. And then I would give you the sexy formula, and everybody would be like, oh my gosh, that was the best sermon in the whole world. I can't believe it was given to all my friends. Like we need to go to God's will. But to, to say this, you don't know. We don't know. We have to actually trust God. But we do know what to do today, that we seek God's will and God's kingdom today right now as he's revealed it to us. I know that's not sexy, but it's true. Uh, Sitzer, his book, in his book, he goes on to say this. He says, The will of God concerns the present more than the future. It deals with our motives as well as our actions today. It focuses on the little decisions we make every day even more than the big decisions we make about the future. The only time we really have both to know and to do God's will is the present moment. That's good. We are to love God with heart, soul, and mind and strength, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. These are the basic responsibilities Jesus challenges us to pay attention to. He says, that we do not know what God wants for tomorrow does not excuse us from doing his will today. Okay, that's when you drop the mic. <laughs> Boom. Let me read that again. That we do not know what God has for us or God wants for us tomorrow does not excuse us from doing his will today. I don't know what tomorrow holds, God, but I do know right now I'm to be a, a man or woman of character. I'm to be a man or woman of honesty, of righteousness, of holiness, of love, of compassion. I know what you told me to do right now. And so because the future is fuzzy, it does not excuse me for doing what I know, I know that you're called, I'm called to do right now. Then he says, the will of God has to do with what we already know, not, with, not what we must figure out. It is contained in Jesus' command that we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. The will of God then consists of one clear mandate, that we make God the absolute center of our lives. This is God's will for you. God does have a will for your lives, and it is to seek first his kingdom. God does have a will for your life, is that you would grow in Christ-like character. God's will for you today is that you would become the kind of people that God is making you to become, that you would become more like Jesus. We often quote the very, very, very famous passage in James chapter 1, which says, if anyone lacks wisdom, they can ask of God and he gives freely without reproach. That whole context that whole context in James there is about character formation. 
God will help, will, will give you wisdom as you grow in wisdom, as you become the kind of person who makes wise decisions, as you become more like Christ. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, maybe write that down. This chapter, we are told the will of God, and over and over again, we're told that God's will for us is to be holy. God's will for us is to flee sexual morality. God's will for us is to give thanks in all situations, to rejoice always. Like God's will, and all that whole chapter has to do with character formation, making us more like Christ. This is God's will for you. But as we do these things, now here's the fun part, and this might be the relieving part. As we do this, as we, as we grow in Christ-like character, God allows us to follow many possible pathways to live out his, quote, will. As we are growing in Christ-like character, actually the pathway for us becomes very open. And so the graphic might more, look more like this. This is a lot more what it looks like. Okay. I love, I love this graphic here. The scripture rules out. So, so what it does is it allows, okay, there's a, there is actually a sinful path. There's an actual way that you can be disobedient. And not just stupid, but sinful. And what, that, what rules out the sinful is the Bible. Okay? The Bible. As you read the scriptures and get the big picture, not just proof text, but as you get the big picture, it rules out a lot of decisions. If you're going, oh, you know what? I, I, I want to cheat at, at work and I want to make a lot of money and I, I want to do it this way. God, what do you want from me? He's like, um, no. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that was simple, sinful. Now, the stupid, okay, this is our, this is our, this is our problem, okay? The stupid one is ruled out by wisdom. This is, the pro, this is the series that we're in, Proverbs. Once you get wisdom, once, you're, once you grab onto wisdom, once you learn how to apply wisdom and you get godly counsel and you seek the counsel of God's word and, and, you, and you really learn how does God shape me and made me, we can rule out stupidity. We can rule out stupidity. But look at all those decisions in the middle for a second. There are many decisions you can make that are all the will of God. Once you make them, they are the will of God. Now you're going, but I want the perfect will of God. I don't want all those options. I want the, I want the one option. God, I want the perfect will. Okay, I want you to think real quick of the Garden of Eden. Think of the Garden of Eden. And God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one tree. Okay, any tree is a blessable tree. But this one tree, don't do it. And imagine Adam and Eve are like, we want to cook dinner tonight together. It's our one week anniversary of being in the garden. Um, so fun. It's been great being here. And they go to God and they're like, God, we want the perfect tree to eat from. God's going, any. They're like, we know any. We know, you know, any. But what, what's the one? He's like, just not that one. Like, well, yeah, I know not that one, but which one should we eat of, God? What, what's your perfect will? He's like, any of them are my perfect will. They're all good. Like, I've blessed them all. Choose one. Now, you're, you're thinking in your mind, well, that's just too many. That's just, that's freeing. Like, you could, as you look and you rule out the, the stupid decision, and you rule out the sinful decision, there actually might be like seven other ones. And you can just go, I'm just going to go this way. And you can just be so free, and God's like, that's my will for you. And as you walk in that, that, and you don't have to make that decision and go, oh, but should I have, don't, don't, look, don't, do, don't look back. Like, just stay in the, like, God, this is the decision that I've made. And I, and I pray as I walk, and I continue to walk in wisdom. This is, and these are, all, these are all blessable places. All in here are blessable places. All these in here, God's like, that's my will for you. That's my will for you. Instead of thinking that there's this one little target and there's one little pathway, and if I don't do that one small pathway and making the right decision, then I miss God's will and I'm on plan B, and plan B is miserable. That's not it. Even if you are miserable, those are all blessable places. Now, let me talk about misery for a second. You could take that away. We know enough today 
We know enough of God's will today to obey God's commands. We know enough of God's will today to pray and to trust our future to God. We know enough of God's will today today to care for our, our church and our community. We know enough of God's will today to show grace and compassion to those who have wronged us. We know what we must do today for that is the will of God. And all the rest leaves room for us to trust in God. That is the mystery of God's will, the mystery of God's plan, the mystery of his future, and frankly, we just don't know that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about suffering. Because all those places, when I say blessable places, you might think good, easy, amazing, best Instagrams ever places. Like those are the, like, oh my gosh, I'm living the life. Does anyone ever look at Instagram and just get depressed about how good everyone's life is? Like, oh my gosh, your life is so good. My life sucks. I can't believe this. Like, I hate all my friends. Unfollow, unfollow. Um, <laughs> and you might be in a place right now where you're just living through life and you hate, you hate seeing everyone else do well. You hate it because you're in a place of suffering. And you might be thinking, I miss God's will somewhere. Let me just speak to that real quick. Number one. You could have missed God's will because you sinned. And what do you do then? Repent. And then you're back on. Do you understand? It's not rocket science. It's really simple. Repent means to turn. Like if you're going down a pathway where you know it's against God's expressed will for you, meaning you're doing something that the Bible says don't do, all you have to do is stop doing it and turn around and go the other way, and boom, you're on, a pla- you're on the path of God's will for you. If you're being stupid and you're like, I think I'm just making dumb decisions, then bring in other people, godly counsel around you and go, am I just being dumb here? You might, you might be very, very, very unhappy in your job. And as people, your friends around you are like, you were, your gifts, your talents, the things that God wired you to do, it doesn't seem like that you fit there. You fit there. It's probably not wise. Maybe you should do this. You might make less money, but you'll be doing something that fits your gift set. You might need to do that. Like, you just... But what about, what about you're going through life and you are suffering? Like, you, you feel like, I'm not necessarily in sin. I've, I've been following the wisdom of God the best I can, and I'm going through tremendous suffering. How do I get off this path? There is a, a paradox of suffering. And the reason why there's a paradox of suffering, because suffering doesn't follow any forms of rationality or clear patterns, and we hate that. And there's this paradox because God has a will or a plan, and because we don't know it, sometimes we learn God's will and plan through tremendous suffering. A couple of years ago, we taught through the book of Genesis, and we studied the life of Joseph. And here is a man who, we see the whole picture, but Joseph didn't. And we see Joseph being favored of God, really blessed, chosen, but then going through tremendous suffering. He goes and he's sold into slavery by his brothers. And as he's sold into slavery by his own brothers, his own flesh and blood, um, he rises, he, he serves at a guy named Potiphar's house and he's a servant there. He's doing a really good job, but then his wife tries to sleep with him. Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with Joseph. And Joseph's like, there's no way I'm sleeping with you. I can't sin against God and against Potiphar. And he says no to her, and then she makes up some lie and say, Joseph tried to rape me, and then he gets thrown into prison. And he keeps doing God's revealed will. Do you see? He keeps doing what he knows is right to him. Like, I know what's right right now to do. I can't sleep with Potiphar's wife. There's no way. And, he, and as he does it, he goes into more and more suffering. Every single time he does right, he goes into more suffering. More suffering, more suffering. Then you get to the very end of the story and then all of it comes to light that God was actually working his hidden will through Joseph's suffering and Joseph was faithful as he did, plotted all around the story, all the way up to the very end as he did what he knew to be right. I know it's right not to sleep with someone else that's not my wife. I know it's right to be obedient to the people that are around me. I know it's right to tell you that God rules and God gave me a vision. And I know it's right. And he does what he knows is right, the revealed will. And then all of a sudden, the hidden will of God that no one sees at all, at the end, Joseph says, when he sees his brothers and they start weeping and crying, 
They're like, I can't believe we sold you into slavery. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Or God used for good. Could be translated both ways. And this is what I I, want to draw to you if you're in, in the midst of suffering right now. I don't know how God is working it out in your life. I have no idea. And there's things that happen to you that are evil, that are wrong. That could be the case. I'm not saying that God made those things happen. I'm saying that in the midst of it, God has a will that he can work in you as you continue to do all that you know, to do what you know. It's a paradox. I don't understand it. It's a paradox that holds the, that holds the cross up. The cross of Christ, of Jesus Christ, was the worst day in human history. We killed the Lord of glory. It does not get any lower than that. The cross is also the greatest moment in human history. It is when Christ died to redeem us from sin and death. How do I reconcile both of those? I have no idea. It is the worst day in human history and the best day in human history. It is the worst evil that's ever been done. We crucified an innocent person and the son of God who did nothing wrong. We crucified him violently and all stood by watching. The worst, the lowest point in human history. But it was the greatest point in human history. Because in that, it was a plan, the purpose of God to redeem us through that. I can't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I can't reconcile. There's a paradox to me, a mystery that I don't understand. You might be experiencing tremendous injustice. And that does not free the guilty from what they do. But in the middle of it, somehow God is working it out for his glorious good and your glorious good. I do not understand that. I do not understand it as I experience suffering in my own life. I do not understand it. Thomas Akempis wrote a prayer once. He said, Oh Lord, you know what is best for me. Let this be or let that be done as you wish. Give what you will, how much you will, and when you will. God, you know what's best for me. I don't know. I know I can make all these decisions and all of them are blessable places and some of them might be paths of suffering. And I don't know, but God, what you will, how much you will, when you will, and I would even add how you will. I want to close with a meditation on Psalm 139 because I think Psalm 139 allows us poetically to wrestle through this paradox of my life is hard and I'm going through tremendous suffering, but God is in the midst of it. David here writes this psalm, and it's, a, it's the language of depression. I don't know if you know anything about depression. But it could be a dark and lonely place where you're so, everything's so dark that you can't see forward, and it, the, the future gets you depressed, and the past gets you depressed, and then the decisions that you make in the right and the left make you depressed, and it's like darkness all around, and you can't feel your way forward. And so David says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. God, you know me. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. There is a mystery to you, God, that I do not understand. Then he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Even if I make these decisions that lead me in places that I don't even know where I'm going, you will guide me there, God. Then here's the language of depression. Verse 11, it says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light became night around me. If I say that 
all the light around me is darkness. I should be able to see my way forward, but I'm stuck in the darkness. David says this, even the darkness will not be dark to you. I'm in darkness. I can't see my way around. And David says, by faith, even my darkness is not darkness to you. You can see, your way. You can see in the dark, God. What, I don't know the future, and I don't know what the past is going to bring uh, as it pertains to my future. And I don't know the decisions to make on the right and the left. That's all darkness to me. Even darkness is as light to you. The night will shine like the day to you, God. For darkness is as light to you. And then he says at the end of the psalm, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How I want to lead us into a time of response is through trust. If there's something, a thread that, that kind of takes the whole Bible and gives it one theme, it's faith and trust. For some of us, the more rational people in the room, this is a hard thing to do, to trust, to have faith. Faith is a gift, and I understand that. I realize that. It's, it's hard to have faith. It's difficult. But when we place our faith in God, He is the only trustworthy thing that's worthy of our faith, that's worthy of our trust. And so we can move into times of deep darkness, even depression, we can move into times in our own lives where we feel out of control, where we don't understand. We can move into times in our life where we don't know if we made the right decision and say, God, even there your hand will lead me. Even then I can have this open-handed trust in you. Even then I can believe in you. If the paradox of the cross, immense suffering, and God's perf perfect will is brought out there in the life of Joseph, surely, God, your hand can lead me too. Let's, let's spend some time turning to God, responding to God. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God that's worthy to be trusted and we can follow God. I pray, God, just first for the church that we would, what we know to do now, we would do. I pray, God, for courage over this church. The things that we need to do now that we would do, that we would stay in the present, that we convince that your will for us is to be more like you, God, to grow in Christ's character and his love for you and for this world. I pray for courage to do that, strength to do that, spirit that you would lead us to do that. But I pray for those that are experiencing tremendous suffering right now, maybe a suffering that's indescribable. I ask God that through our time of response, you would, you would just even speak to us, God, because you can do that. Is it sin, Lord? Is there ways that we need to repent? Is it stupidity, God? Have we just not chosen the wise path? Or, Lord, is it just we're just going through suffering and you're saying, I'm with you? I ask God you would speak that we would hear the voice of God. That, Lord, maybe for the first time someone would hear your voice. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? And would you empower us to do thy will? In Christ's name, amen.